This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slade. It's always great to be saving money on your power bill, using technology, and living a more sustainable life. I'm Tim Eccles. I'm a public service commissioner in the state of Georgia, and like you, uh, I'm, I'm hunkered down, I'm sheltering in place, and our radio show must go on. And so with the policies that Cox Media and others have set up about not going into studio, we are being creative, we're using technology wisely, and we are, we are doing our show remotely. My co-host, um, Casey Boyce. Casey, how's it going? Hey, good morning, Tim. We're doing well over here, but uh, like you, hunker down at home. Yeah, and why don't you introduce our guest, and uh, let's get started with our show today. Sounds good. So our guest today is actually a colleague of mine uh, who I believe is also sheltered in place, but he's all the way over on the other side of the country in California. Uh, Mike Devorney is a vice president at Escalant, and he is uh, the man in charge of our EV forward study. And, and Tim, we've talked a lot about electric vehicles on this show, and uh, Mike has been uh, eyeballs deep maybe further in electric vehicles and electric vehicle owners for the last year, and I uh, thought it'd be good to bring him on and talk about you know, what he's found and what that means for uh, folks as they're thinking about electric vehicles. Welcome, Mike. Well, hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, good to have you, Mike. Uh, California is the the epicenter of EVs in the world, you know, with 600,000 plus, Germany having only about 60, Georgia having only about 32. So uh, we learn a lot from California when it comes to EV policy charging infrastructure every everything how you guys run it out there so we're i'm, I'm anxious to uh learn from you today so mike maybe uh, you could uh introduce yourself a little bit more beyond the introduction that uh that i gave you and and tell our listeners a little bit about um your background and and how you came to be the ev guy uh at, at our company oh absolutely happy to do so i mean Basically, you know, one way I could describe it is I'm a, I'm a kid who never grew up. I always liked cars as kids, never really could get past that. Um, had a couple, I guess, real jobs, um, but then if they didn't really relate to cars, I didn't find them that interesting, so I kept finding myself coming back. So over the years, uh, I worked for uh, Toyota, I worked for General Motors, and then for about a decade or so, um, I worked for a consulting firm where essentially we would work with car companies Uh, trying to help them envision their future product. So anything related to future vehicles is kind of where we would play. And so not surprisingly, um, you know, that tends to relate a lot to uh, anything that's either electric vehicles or future technology. Um, And so for me, it's been a real pleasure to be at Escalant and being able to, you know, really uh, focus our efforts on trying to understand what's happening in the EV space and to, uh, you know, to really drive some change there. Cool. And, and you race cars as well, right? I, I do. I mean, I have sort of a non-traditional household in the sense that uh, on one side of the garage, I've, I've got, you know, a vehicle that loves to burn fuel. Um, and then, uh, you know, my wife in particular, she's she's always been the smarter of, of us as a couple. But, um, you know, back well over a decade ago, we started getting into alternative fuel vehicles. And uh, so we've got Kind of both ends of the spectrum represented uh, within our garage, and, and as long as I know when no one's down there, there aren't any fights that are breaking out. So it's it's pretty good. Hey Mike, uh, we're going to be doing an EV performance corral at Road Atlanta this year at the Petit Lama, uh, October 14th through the 17th. In the EV corral will just be performance related EVs. We would love to have you come to the race this year and be a part of our concierge team. So just consider this an invitation to be in Atlanta October 14th through the 17th for one or all of those days, and we'd love to have you as a guest at the racetrack. Well, Tim, I can tell you, you won't have to ask me twice. I'm happy to be there. <laughs> it's a fun time. Hey, Tim, have you figured out whether you're going to let me and my uh, BMW i3 into the corral, or is that uh, excluded as too much of a uh, you know commuter car? <laughs> you know, we're still... We're still uh, deciding on that, 
KC, we don't know exactly how many parking places we're going to have. So I, I would say right now we're going to put you on the waiting list. Uh, but uh, it, it could be that if we have room that we let your I-3 in there. But it, it may be that, that we're so full of Taycans and, uh, and Fiskers and, uh, and I-8s and other things that, that we just can't let you in the parking lot. <laughs> oh boy, I'm not feeling the love this morning, Tim. So maybe uh, for our listeners, uh, you know, tweet at Tim. Tim, where are you on Twitter? Yeah, I'm at Tim Eccles. So the shows it matters radio. Yeah, so tweet Tim up and let him know that uh, you think I3 should be allowed in the performance corral. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> So, Mike, maybe you could talk a little bit about this uh, this study that we've undertaken over the last year, EV Forward. Um, could you give listeners just kind of a quick summary of, of what it is and, and why we did it? I mean, there's been a bunch of research, and you alluded to it earlier, on electric vehicles. But, like, what, what's different about what we've done? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things I'll do is I'll, I'll just uh, take a step back for a second. And, you know, over the last 15 years or so, I've, I've spoken to literally thousands of consumers, uh, some of them EV owners, actually I should say quite a few of them EV owners, um, even starting back with when uh, you know we had the first Tesla owners out there and certainly a lot of people that are intenders of EVs. And one of the things that has always come through to me in those experiences is the importance of understanding that we're really dealing with people and anything related to, to vehicles that's going to be successful can't be basically um, a bunch of engineers or executives in some space kind of thinking about what they uh, think is important and what's what matters. It's really about, um, and whether it's an electric vehicle or not, if you understand what works for people, you'll be successful. And so for me, that is, it's been, it's allowed me to be in a, a nice position over the years where essentially if I can be a good voice of the consumer, um, essentially I can help companies have a good guiding light of what matters. Because it's not my opinion, it's really about, hey, Here's what your customers want. Let's help deliver this. And if we can do that, we're going to make a difference. And so that's where for us um, with the study that we did, um, which we've called EV Forward, it really came out of for us as as researchers by by nature, looking at um, all the different work that was getting done, trying to understand what were the right strategies in the EV space and realizing that there were some real limitations to that. And I'll give some specific examples. So. For instance, you know, there back when EVs started getting, um, you know, start hitting the marketplace. There's a lot of research getting done. Why are why are people buying these, and what are they looking for? And you know, in the last couple of years in particular, we found that this is problematic because if you look at the EVs that were hitting the market seven eight years ago, they're pretty different from the EVs that have really in these last couple of years been arriving. And we're talking about EVs with much greater range and capability. Um, they're coming in different sizes and shapes that, um, you know, that really are attracting different people. And so part of our motivation was to say, how do we get, you know, how do we talk to the right people? Or how do we learn what that vision should be um, when basically the people who bought EVs, uh, you know, four, five, six years ago aren't really the people that are going to be buying this next generation of EVs. And so we really wanted to take a, a perspective where we could say, okay, we got to start talking to the right people. Um, and, you know, really, it, it's a, one of the biggest challenges that we've had is when you think about for our, our clients, particularly from an automotive standpoint, uh, you know, these are companies that have spent many millions of dollars trying to understand um, what works for consumers in the EV marketplace. And essentially, when you ask them, as we did, do you feel like you know what you need to going forward to have successful strategies, uh, the answer more often than not was, well, no, we don't. And so really we set about to, to change that and say, look, we know um, there's a better way to do research in the EV world. And if we can accomplish that, we're going to hopefully actually drive some change. Um, and so that's really what we set out to do was to kind of revolutionize uh, what's going on in the EV space. Yeah, Mike, I, I want to ask you, you know, the Super Bowl that ran this year, there were a number of EVs that were featured there, including the Audi e-tron, but yet their sales ha have have lagged. Uh, and I, I, I know that Audi it was one of the first manufacturers to really get out there out front with advertising uh, their car, and I, I appreciated that. What do you think is the disconnect? Uh, is, is it the fact that 
you know, those high dollar car buyers are not convinced. Uh, do you have a theory on why we're not seeing some of these high dollar EVs uh, move out of the showroom? I do, you know, and, and one of the biggest things that tends not to get mentioned is, is that we've got a real challenge with EVs in the sense that internal combustion engine vehicles are really, really good. You know, I mean, they've, they've benefited from over 100 years of development. They work when it's 30 degrees below zero or 130 degrees out. And so most consumers, if they're looking to, you know, plunk down their hard-earned cash, they're not trying to solve a problem that they've got. And so in a lot of ways, as sexy as you can make a car in some of the Super Bowl advertisements, you're still facing, you know, a challenge for a lot of people where they're looking at what's in their garage and saying, hey, that works for me in many different ways. So, you know, why would I really consider that? And that's where with, with EV Ford, we wanted to get past kind of the, hey, we gave you a shiny object to look at and understand, you know, really what motivates people and how do we resonate with them and get them to actually think about an EV when they may not um, otherwise do so. Hey, I want to keep this conversation going. There's a lot to learn here. Uh, Casey, let's come back here in the next segment, continue discussing the study, what Mike's doing out there on the West Coast. Uh, I'm at Tim Eccles on Twitter, the shows at Matters Radio. Casey, where are you? I'm at Casey Boyce on Twitter. And Mike, where can they find more information about your company or the study? You know, the, the easiest place would be um, if anybody Googles EV Forward, and that's all together one word, or Escalent, uh, E-S-C-A-L-E-N-T, you can get a lot more information on what we're doing. Great. Well, stick around. We're going to continue more great discussion about electric vehicles. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit. And the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. Gas South. The difference is good. BMVW is the place in Metro Atlanta to get your used hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or fully electric car. They're located on the south side near the airport, but it is well worth the drive. Go online to look at their inventory at ev-hybrid.com and set up a time to see the vehicle or even drive it for up to three days. I don't know of anywhere else in Metro Atlanta that you can do that. That's ev-hybrid.com, the best deal in town. ev-hybrid.com, ev-hybrid.com. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold, Golden, and Gregory, an AmLaw 200 law firm with 180 attorneys in Atlanta and Washington, D.C. They take a business sensibility approach when advising clients. They provide industry knowledge, attention to detail, transparency, and value to help businesses and individuals achieve their definition of success. AGG subscribes to the belief not if, but how. We thank John Gornall and all the attorneys and staff at AGG for sponsoring our show. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We're back on Energy Matters, the shows at Matters Radio on Twitter. I'm at Tim Eccles. I'm a public service commissioner for the state of Georgia, and I love electric vehicles. I have for a long time. I've had four of them, a Nissan Leaf, actually two Nissan Leafs, a Kia Soul EV, and I'm in a Chevy Volt right now, and that comes from ev-hybrid.com. They're an advertiser on our show. Love to have you sponsor them. My co-host, Casey Boyce. Casey, what EVs have you had? So I'm on my second BMW i3, uh, both of them full electric, and my wife liked my car so much that when she was in the market, she got an electric Volkswagen Golf. Fairly rare in Georgia. They weren't sold here new. This was a, uh, a pre-owned car that came out of California, interestingly enough. Yeah, and California is the epicenter of electric vehicles. Uh, I've been out to uh, the Tesla plant, written an article about it. It used to be an El Camino plant, then a Toyota plant, then, uh, then of course, a Tesla plant. You can see my article. Just You can just Google my name and El Camino, and the article will come up. Um, but we've got an expert from California, from Escalant, uh, Casey. 
Mike works in your company. Why don't you reintroduce him for our audience and let's get back into this study that we're taking a look at. Sounds good. So our, our guest today is Mike Devorney, who's vice president in our auto group at Escalant, and he's been working for the past year or so on a study that our company calls EV Forward that really looks at, at customers um, uh, and you know their their intentions and expectations around electric vehicles. And you know, Mike, we just set up this uh, this portion of the show talking about you know the history that Tim and I both have driving electric vehicles. Uh, I've been driving EV since 2014. Tim since before then. Um, you know, regular listeners to the show have uh, heard some of the trials that I've had getting up to our regular recording location in Athens from uh, from my home in Decatur, uh, with the the range of my EV at around 80 miles. So, uh, Mike, what what's the problem with asking people who have owned EVs like me and Tim about electric vehicles when you're you're thinking about you know what what do automakers need to do and what do you know utilities and others need to do uh, to to keep growing the market? Hey. It's a really good point. I mean, you know, one of the things we found is for for you and Tim, for instance, your curiosity in a lot of cases leads to a willingness to, you know, work around some limitations of the early EVs, whether it's infrastructure or range limitations and things like that. And and really when we look at more mainstream adoption of EVs, it's about, you know, how do we get past basically people who don't want to change anything? There's there's no real desire to change their behavior. So you know, it's about understanding um, what do we need to speak to? What do we need to address? In a lot of ways, um, as we've done the research, the findings are pretty humbling in the sense that, you know, we tend to forget certain things, especially those of us that, that live and work in this space. Like, you know, there are people who have um, misconceptions, for instance, that are very real. I mean, when we did our research, for instance, we were getting feedback from people who said, for instance, I'll never drive an EV because I don't want to get electrocuted when I go through a car wash. And, you know, it, so it's just a reminder for us sometimes of for people who have had no exposure to EVs. And I mean, Casey, you're having a car shipped from another part of the country to be able to you know, get the vehicle you want. Um, there's quite a few people we've spoken to who don't believe they've ever even seen an EV at all. And so, um, you know, a lot of what we, we learned out of this is how some people who, you know, almost no one needs to be convinced that an EV is good for the environment. Um, not everyone cares. I mean, there are some people that are very interested in EVs and their motivations are, are much more about styling or performance or things like that. But it's about kind of understanding what things we need to address um, to be able to resonate to some of these potential buyers. You know, Mike, um, I was down at the Porsche uh, North American headquarters and I noticed that the Taycan that they had on their showroom floor there didn't have the green brakes that their 2015 Panamera e-hybrids had. And so I asked my, the executives I was meeting with at Porsche for this particular meeting, hey, why did you, why did you get rid of the green brakes? Uh, because that identified the car as an EV because only your electric vehicles had the green front brakes that you could see through the wheel and see that. And they said, well, our customers didn't like that. They didn't like people knowing that and they didn't want the brakes to be green. We got negative feedback about the green brakes with our customers, and so we we went to red brakes. Uh, so if you see a Taycan uh, that's fully electric, it doesn't have green brakes on it. So uh, to me, it didn't make any sense at all. But I mean, Mike, how how do you? I mean, how do you how do you explain that? We're trying to market EVs, and here's a a clear marketing tool, but uh, in Porsche's perspective, it was a uh, it was a liability. You know, and I, I'm not surprised to hear that because, in a lot of ways, when you've got uh, you know this this happened with with hybrids in the past, and we're seeing with EVs now. Um, think about the number of EVs that instead of using green as a color, they use blue. Um, in a lot of ways, there are some pretty charged um, you know beliefs and, and feelings around some of these colors and. And in a lot of ways, you don't do yourself a benefit by uh, beating a drum on that part of it. Because, you know, we talked to, because we talked to over 10,000 people in just this specific survey that we're referring to, um, and these are our vehicle buyers, they all knew that an EV provided environmental benefits. So there's no reason for messaging. There's no reason to kind of, you know, to, to over enforce that. In a lot of ways, it's about getting past that and, you know, really trying to find those things that, that resonate with people. And, and basically, if you think about Tesla owners, 
You know, the, the image that a lot of them have been attracted to or that they can make with that is not that they're necessarily, you know, they have the, the best carbon footprint. I mean, we know in a lot of cases they didn't. They had big homes and, you know, these vehicles are part of a high consumption lifestyle. But they were sexy. They were stylish. They were, you know, they exuded performance. And so I think that's where Porsche was probably hearing quite a bit about, look, this vehicle needs to be attractive and say certain things, but it doesn't necessarily need to say that above all else, it's environmental. Yeah. Speaking of Germany, and we've talked about this on the show before, I mean, California is so far ahead of Germany, Mike, when it comes to electric vehicles. The Germans make these internal combustion engines that are, you know, arguably the best in the world. Germans that I've talked to there, both in the car business and in the utility business, uh, they're happy to export their German cars, but none of them at the time really saw electric vehicles being something that you know, the, the rank-and-file German, so to speak, embraced. Uh, their charging prices on street chargers were very expensive. Uh, it just seems like everything in Germany was going against electric vehicles being uh, domestic. Um, but a state like California, they're really building out everything, you know, from roadside chargers to, you know, to uh, multi-family uh, unit charging uh, in apartments. And so what do you see the difference between the German marketing and the German attitude towards electric vehicles and, and Californians? Well, you know, one of the, the things that to me is, is a little bit disappointing, for instance, when I look at the Porsche Taycan, which is is an amazing vehicle. I mean, in my first exposure to it, it's kind of reminds me of the first time I, I drove a, a Tesla and how it's it really, you know, even if you don't care about electric vehicles at all, it'll grab your attention and it's pretty compelling. But then you see the pricing on it and it's pretty eye-watering. And so that's something that in my work with the, the car companies, for instance, um, I have really struggled over the last decade and continue to is this idea that, look, if, if we're going to try to actually make some change here, um, this is this new technology is expensive. You can't necessarily uh, price these vehicles the way you would as if they were a gasoline vehicle because it's not about making money on them. Um, in a lot of ways, they're halo vehicles, and, and you need to acknowledge that. And so it really, you know, that's something where, um, you know, I was just having a conversation with, with someone here who mentioned that uh, basically – the city of, of Los Angeles has a, a rebate program going where if you look at something like a used Nissan Leaf, um, they, you know, which she was mentioning that the, uh, the the price on one of those, or you can get one for around $10,000, and that basically the city of LA, um, if you were lower income and qualified, would give you about a $10,000 rebate. So essentially they were making it so that this would be the cheapest transportation you could possibly get. And they're actually seeing some real change with that because, you know, obviously it gets you thinking about, well, maybe this could work for me and maybe I'm going to give it a shot. Well, that's near and dear to your heart, Tim, isn't it? You've talked uh, quite a bit about the, you know, used Nissan Leafs and, and, you know, how economical it is, particularly for folks who don't have a whole lot of means. Yeah, that's right, Casey, because you can buy these Leafs here in Atlanta for under $5,000. Uh, the older ones, the 13 and the 14, so they have the degraded battery, you know, maxing out at, at about 60 miles. Um of range and uh, a ten thousand dollar rebate is stunning uh, and I, I would love to find out more about that uh, because one of the things that we've suggested Casey we've talked about it on the show before since we don't have the tax credit anymore for the state of Georgia is coming up with a way for counties or cities that are very EV friendly uh, to be able to give some kind of rebate either through a nonprofit or through some kind of a special grant. Um, uh, so I'm very interested in helping communities that care about this. Not all of them do, but certainly cities like Decatur, Athens, Savannah, uh, they really want to see more EVs, even the city of Atlanta. And it's, it's just a matter of coming up with how to do it. Hey, we've got about one minute left on this segment. I think we're going to have to keep Mike over again because we haven't even really got into it. Casey, where, where do we want to go in this next in this next segment? What are some of the things we want to cover? Yeah, so I, I think in this next segment, we'll talk a little bit about um, what our, our company has found through this study around um, just, you know, how many people an EV would work for and uh, what people's intention is to purchase an EV and just the different kind of, of motivations that uh, various buyers have uh, for buying an electric vehicle. 
Yeah, great. Stick around. We're going to continue our conversation with Mike of Escalant, uh, KC and I here. I'm at Tim Eccles, KC's at KC Voice and the shows at Matters Radio. We'll be right back. You're listening to Energy Matters. Creative Solar USA is a Georgia-based turnkey installer of innovative solar panel systems. They're dedicated to energy solutions for both your home and business. With their NABCEP certified installers, they ensure their clients receive the highest quality of solar energy systems in the industry. Contact CSUSA today at 770-485-7438 or go to creativesolarusa.com. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We talk all the time on Energy Matters about buying a used EV instead of a new one. Let someone else pay the depreciation. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, can fix you up. Go to their website at ev-hybrid.com to see the ever-changing inventory. BMVW has every brand, every type of EV, and they'll even let you test drive it for three days, show you how to charge it and drive it for maximum performance. That's ev-hybrid.com. ev-hybrid.com. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by BMVW Auto Sales. Energy Matters would like to thank Gas South for its support of the show. Gas South has a no deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. Gas South, the difference is good. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We're back on Energy Matters. I'm a public service commissioner here in the state of Georgia. We're talking about electric vehicles today and certainly. Our commission has been very engaged with EV policy. One, we regulate Georgia Power, and they're one of the leaders in terms of utilities that is advancing electric vehicles. Georgia at one time, second in the nation only to California. KC, we've got a guest from California here today, Mike from Escalant, and certainly Georgia was doing incredible. I mean, we're still up there, but imagine where we would be if we still had our tax credit. Yeah, for sure. Well, we, we kind of went backwards, and I know that uh, there have been a number of folks, uh, including yourself and, and others that we've had on the show, that have been working to, um, you know, restore some tax credit or or otherwise make making uh, owning an EV uh, a lot more feasible for more people here in Georgia. Yeah, introduce Mike again for the audience, and let's jump back into the study that Escalant's been doing. Sounds good. So uh, Mike is actually my colleague. Uh, he works uh, with automakers uh, in uh, our company um, and has been leading up a study that we've been calling or that we call EV Forward. Um, and Mike, why don't you give uh, folks just kind of a, a little bit of a snapshot of what we've found in terms of, you know, the number of people that an EV would work for and, and kind of why it does. And then um, getting into a little bit of that, uh, you know, who's the next buyer? Um, you know, how many people intend to buy an EV and, and, you know, what are their different motivations for wanting to do so? That's a, it's a great topic, Casey. Happy to, happy to share. So, you know, one of the things I mentioned earlier that there's among the general population, there isn't a lot of information about EVs. And so really what we set out to do with this is to understand, you know, hey, I don't want to ask you about your knowledge of EVs. I want to ask you about your life and how you view the world. And we'll be able to take all that back and basically um, make sure to analyze the data and understand and then be able to identify hey, you may not know much about EVs, but we learned all these things about your life, and it turns out you're actually somebody we should take seriously when it comes to EVs because you're likely to actually look at one next time you go and shop for vehicles. And so when we went through and we did all this and we really took all that information together, we found that um, you know there's about 41% of the vehicle population today that essentially needs to make no change whatsoever. Um, to what they're doing and an EV could work in their life. And that, that's things like where they've got um, relatively short commutes, they live near charging infrastructure or they can charge at home, um, or if they do longer trips, um, they don't do them that frequently and they've got another vehicle in the household they could use. So, um, you know, again, it's about that 41% that it's an easy fit for. Um, if you have- And that's nationwide, right? That's Mike? Yeah, that's nationwide. Um, if you say that you're a little bit flexible, so, um, you know, maybe you go on longer trips where you'd need to charge in the in the middle of the trip or on your way there, or um, you go on a you know really significant one where maybe once a year you'd have to rent a vehicle or something like that. If you've got some flexibility, um, that gives us about 28% more of the population. So essentially, we're looking at almost 70% 
um, of vehicle buyers where the EVs that exist today with north of 250 mile range and you know that come in at we've got some under thirty thousand uh, dollars particularly after rebates that would work for people um, so that's that's sort of on a high level what we found by being able to have all this information about people and how they're using vehicles and, and what they they view is important and when we looked at people and, and kind of their orientation towards EVs, um, we asked a question about you know whether whether folks thought EVs were going to become kind of the the norm or not. And and what did we find when we asked that question? Yeah, that was actually pretty interesting. Um, you know, when we asked in general people's view of EVs, we had eighty five percent of the population saying basically, I think EVs are either the future or an interesting idea. So essentially, things have changed quite a bit over even the last four or five years to where, you know, the broad sense among the population among elect- about electric vehicles is that, hey, that's sort of where it's headed. It may not be tomorrow, but that's where things are going. And so in a lot of ways, when we're trying to make a difference in the EV space, it takes some of the burden off of us to try to convince people that, hey, an EV is good for the environment or it's something that you should consider. It's really about getting past that and into, hey, here's how it can work in your life or here's what that would look like and why it would be appealing. Because one of the things that, um, that doesn't get mentioned often enough is when you look at satisfaction among owners, um, it is far and away higher among people who own an EV. I mean, essentially, once you've owned an EV, you don't go back. And there's nothing else we see in the data um, in, the, uh, in the internal combustion vehicle world that has anything like that. So it's, it's a very compelling vehicle once you get people to actually open up and give it a shot. Mike, um, I often tell people look, uh, EVs aren't necessarily for everyone, and we're not trying to get the whole society to drive electric vehicles here. Uh, But for most families that would have two cars, many families have three cars or four cars, depending on how many kids they have, that just just introducing one electric vehicle into your family and, and then having the family member with the shortest commute where it makes sense to use that car uh, based on where they're going to be charging outside of of the home, that just just drip it in, so to speak, to your family, uh, and, and because these cars charge at home overnight, usually they're they're good for the grid. It improves load factor, and and that drives down utility prices for everyone. So we've you know we've tried to 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 make uh, an argument here. I'd say unsuccessfully at this point that uh, that EVs it's not something where where we're trying to force you know a family to do this and be inconvenienced that you, there's a way to do this that really makes sense and actually saves you money. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and that's something that we end up hearing from people who own an EV or who try one out is that there's also many parts of it that they never expected of, you know, I never realized how excited I'd be to be able to drive past gas stations and know that I don't have to stop there. Or I never realized how neat it would be that every morning when I leave the house, I've got the equivalent of a full tank. And so, you know, my old vehicle, it needed 400 miles range because I didn't want to stop at the gas station twice a week. But now I'm realizing that, in fact, you know, I don't need that much range because I start out with so much. But that's it's it's a really tough problem because in a lot of ways you start saying well you know people will know once they own one that they didn't need as much you know range for instance as they thought they did but it becomes circular logic to where you say yeah well but you know how much can we really educate people some people they no matter how much you tell them um, for instance that they don't need a 600 mile range EV they're only gonna you know once they own one would they believe you that that's really the case so it's a it's part of the reason why even though 85 percent of people have a generally a a, you know at least a mildly positive view of evs if not more um, and then you look at the fact that you know from a nationwide perspective we're at less than two percent of new vehicle sales are evs and that that's part of that gap and why we live in there so mike i mean oftentimes if, if I'm out of town and if I rent a car, which I usually don't, but if I do, sometimes it's cool to be in a car type that I've never driven before. I always like that. Or if a company 
owns a, a you know a fleet vehicle. A lot of universities own fleet vehicles and and other companies that provide them for their employees. Then then you can try another type of car. How do we get people to be able to experience an electric vehicle long enough, three days, four days a week, without owning it, so that they're convinced that oh wow this is this is not what I thought. I mean, is it just a is it just a single ride and a rideshare EV? Is it riding with a friend? What is it that's required to take the person to the, to kind of to the tipping point on getting that car for themselves? You've really hit on on one of the issues that's at the heart of this, and we've worked with car manufacturers over time on a number of different strategies. And you know, one of them is, for instance, we have found that being aware of EVs doesn't really connect it doesn't increase the likelihood of you considering one for your next vehicle that that much more greatly but if you know somebody who owns an ev that actually has a much more significant positive impact um, because and i think this is somewhat indicative of the world that we live in today um, no matter how much a car manufacturer pays for expensive super bowl ads are you going to believe that it's going to work for your life? But when you hear somebody that you know and trust say, you know, I was a disbeliever too, and then I bought one, and all, you know, by gosh, look at that, it really works well. That makes a big difference. The other thing that um, has been tried, but I don't think enough effort's been put behind it, is for instance, when people take a vehicle into a dealership for service, um, if their loaner vehicle is an EV, and you say, look, you know, I, and part of the issue is people say, no, I don't want it. It's not going to work. But if you can help push them to say, look, you know, give it a shot. Um, you can charge it overnight. Or if at any point, you, you know, you feel like you're out of range, like we'll come pick you up or we'll do these things. But just getting people in those seats, it's important to do, but it's tough. It's not an easy uh, a path to take. Yeah, so a couple of recommendations that I'd make to our listeners, if, if you're really interested in EVs and, and want to check them out, um, you know, first come on out to the Petit Le Mans EV Corral that uh, Tim mentioned earlier in the show uh, later this year. Um, but uh, Lyft has a fleet of Chevy Bolts that they uh, are doing rideshare in. Tim, you've you've driven one of those for Lyft uh, a while back and wrote about your experience there. Um, there's also a uh, rental car app called Turo where people can put their uh, EVs up uh, for rental. Uh, and actually, over the the holidays uh, last year, my family and I rented a Tesla Model Three out on the West Coast um, because we wanted to be driving EV while we were out there uh, visiting family. So that's a great way to, to do, um, you know, have a little bit longer term rental. And then I, I believe one of the sponsors of the show here, uh, BMVW, gives you a, a couple of days to take an EV home and just see how it works, right? So there's a couple of different options that, that listeners can have to, to check these out. Yeah, let's talk about all of these. When we come back, I'll share my experience with the Lyft Chevy Bolt. You're listening to Energy Matters. I'm Tim Eccles. Stick around for more great talk about electric vehicles. The electric car revolution is coming, and the choices are growing. Gem cars are everywhere. You've seen these low-speed electric vehicles on college campuses, downtown Atlanta streets, and resort islands like St. Simons and Jekyll. Gem cars are street legal, equipped with seatbelts, headlights, and a tag, and can operate on roads with speed limits of 35 miles per hour or less. If you want to know more about these electric cars and trucks, six-passenger shuttles, mobile repair service, or full vehicle wraps, go to GemCarService.com. That's G-E-M, CarService.com. Tim Eccles here for Solar Sun World. No doubt you've seen solar panels popping up all over Georgia. If you want the precision of German engineering when it comes to solar, Solar Sun World is for you. The folks there understand the complexities of solar and how to make it work. From tax credits to inverters to accelerated depreciation, they'll unpack it all. They've been in business for over 25 years. To find out more, go to SolarSunWorld.com. That's SolarSunWorld.com. Logan Booker, producer of Energy Matters, here for Better Tomorrow Solar. Imagine a world powered by sunlight. Imagine your home powered by sunlight. Better Tomorrow Solar has a passion for helping you see this for yourself. They've worked hard to overcome the chief obstacle to solar adoption, its initial cost. 
In some cases, they can install your solar panels at no cost, then charge a predetermined, stable rate for the energy used. In other cases, Better Tomorrow Solar has creative ways to finance the installation so the monthly payments are lower than the energy savings. Find out more at BetterTomorrowSolar.com. That's BetterTomorrowSolar.com and see how you make your world better. Hey, welcome back to Energy Matters. This is Tim Eccles. I'm your host. I'm a public service commissioner here in the state of Georgia. My co-host today, Casey Boyce. Casey, how's it going? I'm good, Tim. How are you? Good. You're at Casey Boyce on Twitter. I'm at Tim Eccles. Hey, we left off in the last segment. You mentioned about uh, the Chevy Bolt with a B that Lyft is running down at the Cox Automotive Pivot, P-I-V-E-T facility on the south side of Atlanta. How uh, how I had rented one of these cars to kind of, uh, one, to, to test driving for Lyft and see what people's reaction to the electric ca- cars were. Um, and then really to promote this, this um, program that Lyft is doing as really a, a great equity program for low-income people, particularly on the south side, who live within a mile of that facility. And it was extremely positive. Folks can just Google my name, Tim Eccles, with the word Lyft, and you'll see a couple of articles that I wrote, people that I picked up, you know, in my Lyft ride, how much I made off of each ride, what people's reaction was. So it's, a, it's kind of a fun article, and, uh, and I'm just really imp- so impressed with the Lyft platform and, of course, the performance of the Chevy Bolt. Casey, let's jump back in to our conversation with Mike, with Escalant, because I want to make sure that we get everything that that we can out of this study before the end of the show today. We talked in a previous segment how the study found, uh, you know, roughly 70% of people could make an EV work in their life, either with no change or minimal change, and that most people have a generally favorable view of EVs that they're going to, you know, at some point kind of be the future of of mobility. Um, But that doesn't necessarily mean, Mike, that we're going to have, you know, 70, 80% of people going out and buying an EV tomorrow or even for their next car. So um, take us through what what the study found in terms of, um, you know, people's uh, intent or, or propensity to buy an electric vehicle? And, and what are some of the motivations behind uh, why people might do that? Absolutely. One of the biggest things we found is, so we, we did what's called a buyer segmentation. So we basically wanted to understand who are these people that are going to buy these next EVs that are coming? And how do we speak to them and, and how do we be relevant to them? And the group that's the highest likelihood of these, we call the torchbearers. And in a lot of ways, they look like people who've bought EVs so far. They tend to be... They look like Tim and me. Huh? They, well, I don't know. These guys are high income and they're younger. So, you know, you guys will have to let me know. <laughs> no, but but they're um, relatively well. For our listeners, Tim's shaking his head. <laughs> shaking, my, shaking my head. No, I'm not high income. Yeah, that's right. Sorry, I should have clarified that. <laughs> But in general, if you look at people that are, um, you know, the group that's most likely to to really seriously consider an EV for their next vehicle, they tend to be higher education, higher income. And in a lot of ways, if you think about, you know, if you're going to, first of all, be buying a vehicle that's 40 plus thousand dollars, you're not talking about somebody who's just, you know, trying to get enough money to pay the electricity bill. So, but these people, the interesting thing is, is among these torchbearers, 90% of them have not bought an EV yet. And the biggest reason why they haven't is that they have been waiting for the right EV for them. And there's not one single reason why. Some of them have brand loyalties. Other ones, you know, look, I I drive a three-row crossover and I want a crossover. Um, Still, I don't want to give that up. I mean, that's actually for my wife and I. That's, you know, we've been mentally convinced, like torchbearers are, that an EV would be a wonderful fit in our household, but we don't want to necessarily compromise on what that vehicle is. Um, and we're, you know, we're patient to, to get that. So that's one of the groups that's um, kind of an interesting one where people say, oh, that looks like people who bought EVs so far, but you say, yeah, but there's an awful lot of untapped potential within that group. And there's, there's a couple other ones that uh, if we've got time, I can talk about. Yeah, let's jump. Yeah, so let's, let's, let's go on. Let's jump. talk about the, the next couple. Yeah. yeah, jump into it, Mike. Okay, so our, our next group that's, uh, if you think about it in terms of likelihood to buy an EV for their next vehicle, we call young enthusiasts. And, you know, this group is really um, the way they view the world. And that's the important thing to keep in mind here is that we're talking about, you know, well, the things that people value and, and just the, you know, their perspective on life. And so our young enthusiasts are very much about um, lives centered around achievement and reward. And so when it comes to vehicles, 
These are the people who traditionally look for luxury or sports cars. You know, something that's fun and exciting and exhilarating. And the interesting thing is, is that, you know, this is a group that has sometimes been characterized as, oh, you know, they want an EV for the technology. They care about technology, but they want the vehicle also to be stylish and have great performance. And, you know, thankfully, EVs can deliver a lot of that. Um, so, you know, that group is a group, though, that you think about the environmental benefits of an EV. And, you know, Tim, thinking back to what you're saying with Porsche and the green brake calipers, this group, the Young Enthusiast, actually, they are not particularly motivated by the environmental side of an EV. That's not really why they're there. Um, and so it's important to understand that if you're going to appeal to this group, you need to be talking about things like the styling and the performance. And, and also, they're a group where if you want to convert them, it's about getting their butts into the seats because that's really how they um, experience the world. They also tend to be much more than anybody else, um, people that others turn to for car advice. And so, you know, there's a multiplier effect with those that, you know, you get them to experience an EV, to buy an EV, um, and they can really help, you know, spread that knowledge to a lot more people. Yeah, so we got the torchbearers, we got the young enthusiasts. Is there other categories? Mm -hmm. There, so we ended up with six different categories, but one more I'll mention here that's really relevant for EVs, we called our stewards. And so our, our stewards, um, the reason we gave them that name is that they are, as a group, very concerned about um, you know, doing good to others and to the world. So they're, they're deeply concerned about the environment, our stewards, and they really want to help. But there's a challenge, and that's that stewards are not, um, when it comes to vehicles, they're not really the... the kind of people that stick their neck out and try something that's really new and different. Um, in a lot of ways, they see vehicles as kind of point A to point B transportation. They more often than not look to other people for advice. And so the prospect of a vehicle that, um, especially given that they don't tend to do a lot of research about vehicles, they have a lot of unknowns. And so if you think about these three that I've just described, you wouldn't really lead off with environmental messaging with any one of them because either they don't care or they already know. Um, it's about getting past that. And so, for instance, with our stewards, addressing some pretty fundamental concerns they have of, you know, what does maintenance look like? What's going to happen to the battery three, four, or seven years down the road? Um, if you can address some of those and do it in the right way, you'll actually make a lot more progress than just trying to blast more generic messaging to all these people. Casey, I wonder in our last four minutes here, if Mike could go ahead and give us the other three categories. Absolutely, yeah, I, I can. So our next one, basically, if we're going kind of down the line in terms of less uh, intention to EV, you know, essentially, we, we call them, um, you know, our, you know, basically we've got our, our skeptics and our old guard are kind of further on um, down the line. And those, you know, those are the ones that, that I'll, I'll touch on. But um, our survivors are our group that kind of comes after those first three. And essentially, it's more of a mainstream personality. I mean, they, in terms of what they value in the world, they're kind of middle of the road. Um, they're not likely to be buying an EV for the next vehicle, but they're an important indicator of you know, if you can appeal to them with your messaging, you're likely to break through to much bigger parts of the market. Um, we call them survivors because essentially they view the world as a bit of a struggle and it's about getting through it. Um, and so that's why it's part of the challenge is to convince somebody who already sees life as not necessarily the easiest thing out there that they should go out and try some wildly different vehicle. And our, our skeptics basically, they're just a tougher nut to crack. They've got a relatively negative view of, of the world, and uh, you know they're, they're just pretty skeptical of, of everything. Our old guard is our, our group that in some ways is pretty interesting because they don't believe climate change is real. Um, they don't really believe in EVs to the extent EVs come across as being progressive or environmental, but they're a very pragmatic group. So this is a group that actually adopts lithium-ion technology for tools and things like that, um, and they will buy something if the benefits outweigh the you know the costs. So it, every one of these six personas would t you take a completely different approach. But if you understand what barriers they have and what motivates them, you can really break through. You know, Casey, thinking about this survivor group, I mean, this is a group we really want to try to help, right? I think of single moms, for example, uh, who may be struggling to keep a car running, maybe having to buy a, a 10-year-old, 15-year-old car that winds up getting repossessed or is breaking, you know, every other week. An electric vehicle uh, with 
with so few moving parts would be a real yeah, blessing. Yeah. yeah, would be a real blessing to that group, Casey, right? For sure. Yeah, and, and a lot lower fuel costs as well. I mean, it's it definitely helps uh, those folks out. Um, you know, real funny uh, anecdote very quickly as we wrap up the show here. The uh, the stewards, when I, Mike, I remember when we first looked at that, I started laughing because I, I said, you know, that's my wife. Um, she's not a car person. Um, you know, cares very deeply about the environment. But, um, you know, a, a warning, Tim, you said, you know, you get an EV in the family fleet. Well, you know, even for uh, for someone like her, she got the EV in the fleet and she's like, that's going to be my next car. Uh, no question about it. So, as you said, butts and seats help, uh, help move the metal here. Just hearing Mike go through these six categories, I really think we ought to have him present at our next EV Brain Trust. Our listeners don't know that I have an EV Brain Trust that meets about every six weeks. And I, I think these categories, as Mike has gone through this study, uh, I think it's very, very important information to insiders and to industry people. So, Mike, I want to give you uh, not only an invitation to come down to the race at the Petit Le Mans October 14th and be a part of the EV Performance Corral, but I want, I want to have you present to the EV Brain Trust of Atlanta. I'd be happy to Yikes, do so. I can't even get my car into the corral, Tim. <laughs> yeah. You know, Casey, maybe, maybe I need to reconsider. Hey, everybody, we're out of time today. It's great uh, having Mike on the show. Always Good to have Casey as a co-host. The show's at Matters Radio. I'm at Tim Eccles. You've been listening to Energy Matters. And, and I'm at Casey Boyce. And he's at Casey Boyce. Energy does matter. We hope you have a great day, everybody. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit. And the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. GasSouth. The difference is good. You've heard about gem cars on Energy Matters. Made by Polaris in Anaheim, California. These street-legal, small electric vehicles go where golf carts are not allowed. Equipped with seatbelts, headlights, optional doors, and a tag, gem cars and trucks are perfect for shuttles, corporate, or college campus use. In fact, Georgia Tech has over 100 of them. The new generation gems have many options when selecting the battery type, onboard chargers, and enclosures to suit the climate. Go to gemcarservice.com to find out more. That's G-E-M carservice.com.